Welcome to episode 202 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio, the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, the man who is heading into the pulpit this weekend. Yep. John Scott Sloat. A pulpit. I don't know what the pulpit would be, but a, a pulpit. Uh, we can live with that, yeah. Though, of course, by the time this episode drops, it will have already happened. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be old news, 48 hours old. Yeah, so uh, we are recording in advance. We're actually recording on a Friday for yep. an episode that won't drop until Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, because Primarily because I'm out of town next week. Well, I'm, and I'm, you I'm are out of town. I'm, I'm out of town next week, too. Late. Well, for the whole week? I come back Friday afternoon. Okay. I forgot. I thought you were out the last half of the week, not just the uh, the whole week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Preaching this Sunday and then doing visits around the Maryland East Coast. East Coast. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will be in Texas. Ah, Texas. San Antonio. I've heard wonderful things about San Antonio. You've not been to San Antonio? I've never been to San Antonio. I think you'd enjoy it. It's got That's a nice what I've been river told. walk area, the Alamo's there. It's one of the few places my wife has been that I have not okay. been. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that, that's a small list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's uh, not as well-traveled as you are. Yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, so uh, that's going to have some consequences for uh, the uh, sports segments that we're recording early. And, and what are you doing in Texas? You just vacation? Yeah, because I take vacations in the middle of the academic term. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I will be at the at two academic conferences the Evangelical Theological Society Conference. Okay. Where I'll be presenting a paper. On? Typology. Typology, any particular text or just generally? Just generally. Okay. More of a, so I'm presenting a paper and um, three other scholars are responding to it. Basically, it's my view of typology, both forward-looking and and backward-looking. Who's responding? Uh, Daryl Bach. Okay, Dallas, right? Yep. Dallas? Yep. David Firth. Firth? Oh, how do I know that name? So he wrote um, – you remember in our reading group a couple summers ago, we did uh, – was it called like Welcoming the Stranger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He that wrote, guy. Yeah, that I guy. enjoyed him. He yeah. was very good. And he's also uh, got a commentary out on Joshua. I'm sure same, that's a wonderful – In the same series as my Galatians commentary. Oh, really? And then uh, Cynthia Westfall. Okay, that one I don't know. She is at McMaster in uh, Canada. Okay. So they will each respond to my paper. Okay. And then we'll have a panel discussion. That's great. Yeah. And then at SBL, Society of Biblical Literature, I'm doing a paper on um, basically the assumptions and such that go into um, my belief that Peter actually wrote Second Peter. Hmm. Now, SBL is a much broader crowd yep. than ETS. ETS is Big evangelical, up. so you've got people who are committed to the inerrancy of Scripture. So the authorship of Second Peter is not really debated. There. Debated, mm-hmm. But SBL is including anybody who teaches Bible at any sort of institution. So it could be Notre Dame Bible professors are there. Yeah. So I, I, my view will be a significant minority in, okay. that, in that context. What sort of the give me give me the give me the cliff notes? 
So if that's even possible. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, the cliff notes are. Um, I, my starting point is, well, the text says he wrote it. Okay. And so I think that the burden of proof then shifts to demonstrating convincingly that he could not have done it, could not have written it. Hmm. Now, for critical scholars, they think there's enough proof that there's no way he could have written that. I respectfully disagree. What do they, what do they take it as? Pseudo, like uh, somebody adopting a pseudonym? Yes. And, okay. Yes. Someone writing in Peter's name uh, to address – so after Peter's death – writing in Peter's name as if Peter were still alive, this is how he would address the current situation that we're facing. So, yes, that's uh, – so I'm I'm defending the the authenticity of Second Peter in terms of – yeah, Pete actually wrote it. OK. So I'm curious – I'm, I'm going to use an analogy that I'm curious how that shakes out in, in the panel discussion that comes out. But basically, I use the analogy of a criminal case. And I say, okay, so when a crime has been committed, if it can go one of two ways in terms of the investigation, depending on has anybody confessed? Like if somebody comes in and says, I did it. I committed that murder. Yep. Well, the confession still has to be verified, right? They, they don't just take the person's word for it. They have to corroborate it with evidence that they have based on other things and say, oh, this guy says he did it. And yeah. We found his DNA at the crime scene. We know he had a motive that he didn't like this person. He was covered in blood. Yeah. You know, yeah. So we have him on security camera showing, yep, that was him. But if there's no confession, then you have to build a list of suspects and then you have to try to build a case inductively essentially from, from that. You, have a, you would say you have a confession. Yes, we have a confession. Pete wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then – so that puts the that, – that establishes a – a framework for thinking about the authorship of Second Peter and saying, okay, so what corroborating evidence is there to support that he wrote it? Hmm. So that's the analogy I'm working with, and I'm sure it'll be picked apart. And I'll get chased around the room, and it'll be fun. But that's why you go to SBL, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I I am somewhat regretting that I agreed to do this paper. <laughs> who talked you into it? Uh, I was invited by the guy who uh, who's head of the the study group session, whatever. Okay. So nice. Yeah, should be fun. There's my academic life. Well, we look forward to a full report in our next episode as there to how go. that went. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we'll maybe that'll be our episode <laughs> for the Monday upon return. Well, I mean, we need content, so Let, let's rehearse this paper. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and now let's hear the responses. There you go. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the show at VNS Pod, you can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail dot com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube, and we'd love for you to leave a review and a five-star rating. And if you want to give us some feedback on the new podcast logo. It's out there in the world. It's out there. It's there with our faces on it. Yeah. Our cartoonish faces. Cartoonish yet oddly photographed as well. Yeah. Yeah, sort of a mid-range kind of. If that distinction makes sense. Yeah. What's funny is on my podcast app, I still have the old logo. Which app do you use? Um, Pocket Cast. Oh. Well, it's updated through uh, Apple Podcasts. And that's weird. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mine's mine's updated through. Um, what do you use, Apple? I, I use uh, Overcast. 
Okay. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I need to, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why that does that, but, um, uh, yeah. So if you like a comment on that, leave a review. Sure. Reach out to us. Uh, that'd be great. Um, all right. So, uh, even though we're recording a little bit, uh, early, we will talk a little bit of sports. Uh, and since we can't talk about the weekend's games, um, you just want to sort of look forward to some of those games, or well, I mean, now they're in the past. I mean, by the time people listen to this, uh, oh, yeah, that's Michigan, true. Michigan, and Penn State will have played. That'll be a big game, uh, and obviously, big for the standings in the Big Ten national uh, rankings, but also you know with the ongoing um, uh, investigation into Michigan's. Uh, illegal acquisition of opponents' signs. Yeah. Um, by the time this drops, I'm sure things will have developed. Um, I mean, as we record on this Friday morning, there's word that, uh, that, that there's an expectation, I think, that, uh, that Harbaugh is going to get um, suspended. I think that's an expectation. This season? Yes. For what I mean, there's only so many games left. Yes, one of them will be most likely the Ohio State game. Well, if he's if he's suspended for this season for any part of the season, I would think it would include. I mean, they they played well again as of this recording. They have Penn State coming up this weekend, and then they have somebody else next week. I forget who. Um. Is it Maryland, maybe? And then they have Ohio State. Mm. So we'll see. It'll be very interesting to, to, to see how this all um, how this all is going to uh, to shake out. But and Georgia's got Mississippi this weekend. Ole Miss, yes. Ole Miss, yep. And then Tennessee's got Mizzou. Those seem to be the big games that are out there. Yeah, yep. That's probably right. Um, trying to think. Those are the big games. Yeah. So it'll be. Uh, you know, the landscape could look very different depending on how that all shakes out. Utah against Washington is out there. I guess that's a top 25 matchup yeah. technically. Yeah. Um, who do your Jets have? We're on Sunday night. We're against the Raiders. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That should uh, That's a winnable game for sure. Well, so was, you know, so was Monday night. <laughs> it was a winnable game. Yeah. And uh, here, let, here we are. Let's talk a little bit about uh, – the NBA season has started. We don't really focus on the NBA till we get to January, really. Yeah, no, no one does until Christmas Day. Right. So, have you paid attention at all to the Knicks? I get updates as to when they play, when tip-off is, and then I check scores. Okay. That's about as much as I've done thus far. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have not paid much attention. I actually looked at going to a Spurs game while I'm down in San Antonio. Mm. Um. So I haven't decided if I'm going to do that or not. We'll see. But uh, the plate, this uh, in-season tournament thing is happening soon. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've seen advertisements for that. I've seen some weird courts. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, my understanding is that basically they put all the teams into groups. So it's like a soccer thing almost. Like you have a group stage where you play everybody in your group. And then the winners of the group advance into like a, you know, kind of um, – What's the term I'm looking for? One and done sort of thing where you lose and you're out kind of thing. Uh, but 
what players get? I think a half million dollars on the winning team. Is that right? I think. I have no idea. I think. I I still think it's a an idea that they need to flesh out a little bit more. We'll see how this goes. You it know, does feel a little half baked. Yeah. It seems crazy to think that a half million dollars is not really that much incentive for these, for most of these players. But mm-hmm. you know, when you're making as much as they do, maybe it's not as much of an incentive. I don't know. Maybe for the guy on the end of the bench. It's, yeah, yeah. It's a well, half million be worth it, but for Giannis, I mean, that dude's making so much money. Yeah, I mean, if you're making thirty-four million a year. Yeah. Did you see? This is so out of left field. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He he doesn't put his money in the stock market, and because of the federal uh, protections, is only I can't remember a quarter million. Mm-hmm. He has like hundreds of bank accounts at different banks <laughs> that are that are, that are all that, qu- that are all quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> well, isn't that wild? Okay, but he's Greek, right? He is. Yeah. Okay. The financial situation in Greece for the last decade plus not good has been a dumpster fire. Yeah, banks not good. failing and that sort of, like so. It brings a little bit of context yeah. to the yeah. like, you know, you you can understand how a guy might be like, um, I'm not trusting anything. Oh yeah, but beyond the guarantee. So, um, all right, you ready to move on, John? Sure. So our topic for today, John, what are we talking about today and why are we talking about it? Um, we are talking about uh, the differences between the synoptic gospels and John's gospel. Okay. Uh, I'm preaching John this weekend <laughs> and frustrated is the wrong term. Oh, but, okay. Do tell. Uh, I just there, – there's part of me that reads John and I'm just like – I don't get it. You know, you know, you know. It's just it, it feels different to read than a traditional gospel. It feels different to preach than a tradition than, than a synoptic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just I, sometimes I read a paragraph and I go, "Okay, what was the point?" So <laughs> I, I'd love to just spitball. Okay. Um, why is John so different? Yeah, and what are some strategies we can have? in reading John that can help us interpret things. And what's going to help me on Sunday as I preach, John? Okay. So, yeah, a little bit. There's a little cry for help. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, how far along are you in the in the sermon prep process? So I, I would say the sermon sits at about 80%, okay. 80, 90% written. I'm at the editing stage. Okay. And right what's now. the exact pass- passage again? I have 8, 12 to 30. Okay, so right after the uh, woman caught in adultery, the, yes. the light of the yes. world stuff. Light of the yes, the light of the world declaration right okay. there at the top, and then no development of that. Just sort of right into a conversation with the Pharisees, kind of an argumentative conversation with the Pharisees, mm-hmm. and then there seems to be a bit of a pullout to a larger conversation with uh, Jews more broadly than just the Pharisees. That that happens in the second half, the second paragraph. Yes. Um, yeah. So, where where does it break again? Where are you where are you cut, cutting off? So, uh, eight twelve to thirty. Okay. Ah, yes, gotcha. Okay. So this sort of back and forth, yeah, weirdness with the Pharisees, um, and then and then some. What I've termed in the sermon is sort of like Jesus goes from like this combative, argumentative thing with his enemies in sort of the first paragraph to like 
very similar points, actually, but mm-hmm. more persuasive oriented toward uh, the broader coalition of the Jews. Okay. So that's how I'm sort of framing it. But, gotcha. But yes, it, it, it was just a – it took me a couple of days to really even wrap my head fully around uh, the text. And, and there are still aspects of it that I that I talk about, but I don't know that mm-hmm. I've fully developed. Um, so, yeah. 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 I, okay. That, that's the passage. There you go. So I think uh, when it comes to the Gospel of John um, – it obviously stands out from the synoptics in, in, in a number of respects. Um, and I think – at least I think most scholars probably think that uh, when John wrote this gospel, he was not only aware of the synoptic gospels, but even kind of writes it in a way that kind of assumes hmm. that the reader is at least maybe loosely familiar with at least some of the things in – uh, the gospel, according to uh, in, in, in the um, in the Synoptic Gospels, hmm. so uh, <clears throat> even even the most conservative scholars tend to date uh, the Gospel of John probably in the eighties, early eighties, hmm. um, whereas conservative scholars tend to date the Synoptic Gospels before seventy A.D. Hmm. So. <clears throat> So that's one difference, and I think. Um, what are some of the other differences you have in mind? You know, as, you, as, as you've worked in John uh, between John and the Synoptics. So, as, as I work through the Synoptics, um, it, let's take a passage in Mark, right? The paralytic being lowered mm-hmm. uh, through the roof. Like, there's there's a clear start to their story. Even the dialogue is just mm-hmm. like real straightforward and clear. Uh, as I read through John, I kind of have – kind of it almost – particularly this passage feels like it has like a lot of disconnected parts. Mm-hmm. So uh, for instance, we have I am the light of the world right at the top. That's a big statement. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes into the, – the rest of that paragraph is about the Pharisees going like, well, your testimony is not true. You know, we need another witness. You know, yeah. uh, all these things and Jesus going, actually, it is true. Here, here's Here's why. <laughs> Um, and kind of never puts a bow, at least in this passage, on mm-hmm. the I am the light of the world. Yeah. And then kind of goes into and, – and then it transitions. So it it doesn't feel like there's a clear development or intention and thought behind John's writing of it. It can feel that way as I'm reading through it. Well, I think part of what you see with John is um, John tends to have um, – Fewer, fewer stories, fewer individual stories, yeah, and longer dialogue stretches, mm-hmm. um, and um, it, this is overstating it, but at times it can almost feel like the story is a setup to the long extended sort of uh, teaching mm-hmm. that that Jesus is going to give. Um, or it's a setup to the interactive dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders or Jesus and what, whoever else is in the story. Uh, so I think um, that that's part of what's going on there. And I also think uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to the Gospel of John, what's striking to me is that John tends to assume that the reader is probably more familiar 
with Jewish customs and Jewish festivals than most English readers are. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that can be a barrier a bit to the English reader of Jesus will make statements that assume some kind of knowledge of a Jewish festival that the English reader often doesn't have. Yeah. I, I was actually, for this, diving into the the uh, Feast of Booths uh, mm-hmm. for for the sermon because that that seems to be where it, where it takes place in mm-hmm. connection with, I think even going back to chapter seven, yes, um, it can it connects to that. Mm-hmm. The other the other thing that I that I always march out is the differences between John and the rest of the synoptics is kind of like what you're talking about with your SBL paper, mm-hmm. right? John at the forefront of his gospel has a confession, <laughs> right? Right. Th- this is who Jesus is. Yeah. Where where every everybody you know Matthew Mark and Luke kind of have more of a inductive reasoning right mm-hmm. they're sort of just like let's let's take the evidence let's mm-hmm. go through these different stories and and discover who Jesus is where John sort of gives it to you up front yes that's largely true uh, though you know the, the Gospel of Mark does begin with this is the, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God yeah that's that's and then jumps into an Isaiah. Right. Reference right there at the right. outset of Mark. So there is that element, but um, there's nothing like John's prologue. I mean – Right. And, and these other – the other gospel accounts, they seem to start their story with the birth of Jesus mm-hmm. or the arrival of John the Baptist. Um, John starts in the beginning <laughs> – yeah, yeah, like which which all kind, of the sets, way back. kind of sets John up. And I was thinking about this as I was prepping this because I, I was prepping this. I'm like, gosh, I have a lot of Old Testament references in here. Um, did John really intend to have this many Old Testament references? Well, he kind of starts his mm-hmm. gospel with an Old Testament reference. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and a few of them. I mean, I mean, one one certainly, but certainly one fourteen as well mm-hmm. is also a, a Old Testament reference. And yeah, there, there's just a number of them. It's it's actually. Pretty, pretty incredible. Yes, I think. I think another thing that that distinguishes John is just the. Um, whereas the synoptics tend to be a little bit more, I don't know if this is the right word. At points, I would say a little more subtle mm. about Jesus' deity. There is nothing subtle about John. No. In his assertion of Jesus' deity. No. You know, the synoptic gospels tend to be a little bit more like, I'm going to show you, uh, I'm going to show you something that Jesus does that only Yahweh can do. Yeah. And then I'm going to expect you to make the connection. Or I'm going to show you Jesus saying something that only Yahweh can really say. And I'm going to make, I'm going to invite you to make the connection of, oh, so Jesus must be Yahweh in the flesh. So he he does that in John chapter eight, the passage that I'll be preaching. Mm-hmm. He uses this phrase um, called. Uh, he, he says, "I am He." I am He. Mm-hmm. Uh, in John chapter eight, he says it two two times. Uh, and I was reading that, I just go, "Boy, that's that's quirky." Uh, and then you connect it to Isaiah, mm-hmm. and you see that, and then back on into Exodus, and, and back on into Exodus exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that's a that's a phrase God used to say uh, of Himself, and mm-hmm. to say that there is no savior other than Me. Yeah, I am He. Yes, uh, in Isaiah forty three, and boy, I, there's there's part of me that's that as I step into 
a pulpit to <laughs> preach this where I go, it took me several readings and a lot of commentaries to like get at the main point of this. Mm-hmm. How do I bring them along in that and, mm-hmm. and uh, bring it about? Yeah, and it, I, I feel like it, it's striking that I think oftentimes when you, you – you will hear people say, oh, you want to get someone in the Bible to learn about Jesus, start with the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. That's a fine starting point. But, you know, it's one of those things where there's a lot of depth to the Gospel of John. and um, Oh, yeah. And so – it 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 it, inv- it invites multiple readings. It mm-hmm. invites you to read it over and over and over again to see the the multiple layers of the text, and that's part of the beauty of scripture in general, I would say. But the reality is, is that uh, we as contemporary English readers just often don't have the depth and breadth of Old Testament background to immediately catch things that would have been apparent to a first century Jewish reader, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that that that's just part of the, the challenge, I think, in terms of reading it, understanding it, and then preaching it and, and guiding people to the point where they see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another thing uh, – you know, it's easy to focus on the differences between the synoptics and, and John's gospel, but I, I would want to say – uh, there is overlap, obviously. I mean, for all their variety, mm-hmm. all four of the Gospels spend a huge chunk of space on the last week of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Like all four of them, as, as if it's as if they say, well, you can focus on different things leading up to that, but the essential thing you got to catch is – yeah. That last week where he is arrested, he's crucified, he rises from the dead as the sort of the focal point, which is yeah. – um, In those big picture things, there's more similar than differences. Oh, there. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, and I, I've never thought of this before, but feel free to push back on it. But it does feel like as John's writing, he's like, yeah, we need to get this story about Jesus or this teaching of Jesus out there because Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't necessarily cover this. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's an intentionality about um, John trying to include things that aren't found in the Synoptic Gospels. There is, there, you know, like the feeding of the five thousand. That's in all that's four in there. gospel yep. accounts. But, but, like the wedding at Cana, yeah, is, is, isn't just in John. Correct, correct. And um, I mean, and you get a hint of that actually. I think at the end of John's Gospel, when he makes that sort of enigmatic statement. Um, uh, let's see here. John 21, uh, last – yeah, very last verse of the, of the gospel account. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. <laughs> you know, it's almost as if he's like throwing up his hands and be like, I kind of give up. <laughs> like, like there's the synoptics out there. Yeah. There's my account. Oh, yeah. And we've only scratched the surface of of the things that Jesus did and said, um, which I don't know if this will be the case in the new creation, but I kind of wonder if we'll get to find out more of those. Yeah, yeah. Like we'll just get to hear more of like, oh, here's another story that 
God didn't include in the scriptures, but this is something Jesus did. Yeah. Mm. That'd be pretty sweet. That'd be pretty awesome. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, and even just the way that, uh, you know, there, some some critical scholars, like uh, good old uh, Bart Ehrman, our, our, oh. one of our favorites. Yeah. Dookie. Yeah. Um, in a couple of ways. Not a, no, he's at UNC uh, Chapel Hill. I thought he was at Duke. No. No? He's no. A, he's at Chapel Hill? He's a Tar Heel. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So um, he, among other critical scholars, are basically like, oh, you can't trust the Gospel of John because what when Jesus speaks, what you're really hearing is John speak because he's speaking in John's words and sayings and that sort of thing. And balderdash is what I say to that. But is there anybody that upsets you more than Bart Ehrman? Uh, are we talking in the realm of like biblical studies, biblical scholarship? Is that is is that how we're sort of parsing that out? Sure. Yeah. Let's let's do that. <laughs> um, I was thinking more broadly, but but to to save you from having to say anybody specifically, <laughs> <laughs> let's just do biblical studies. Yeah, I mean that's cer- he's certainly up there, in part because uh, he's done a lot of damage. Well, and he's he's dishonest. Mm-hmm. Meaning that he will make broad sweeping statements in his popular level writing that he would never make in his scholarly writing. Will he be never. at SBL? I would imagine so. Will he be at your your, your Peter? <laughs> I highly doubt it. Interesting. I highly doubt it. <laughs> so um, watch him bring up this podcast, and you're like, "Wow, yeah, I, that know. would be epic. Um, That'd be next level." Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, the story of the of the uh, wedding at Cana. That's one of the, uh, I think, one of my favorites in the in the Gospel of John. Um, and one of the unique features of John as well is the fact that he fills in a little bit of the early interaction he ha- that Jesus has with his disciples. Mm-hmm. If you just read the Synoptic Gospels, you could get the impression that when Jesus walks along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and calls. Um, James and John, for example, that like they've never met him. He's this complete stranger. And here's this rabbi walking around going, hey, you two, come follow me. Like, okay. And they just drop everything. Well, when you read John's gospel, you realize, oh, they've actually heard Jesus teach before. They've actually maybe been around him a little bit Hmm. before Jesus gives that dramatic, like definitive, leave everything, come follow me. Um, So that that provides some interesting uh, windows into, I think, that reality as well. But um, there's another difference I was going to point out, and I've lost it in my brain. It kind of walked away from me. What was it? Uh, maybe it'll come back to me. So any tips or tricks you have for the guy preaching Gospel John? Uh, any sort of... Um, things to be aware of, to think through as you're structuring. Uh, I think that's been part of my problem is like, yeah. goodness, how do I break this out into like three points or four points? Or, Well, I mean, narrative in general can be difficult to, I think, um, break down into multiple points. Mm-hmm. Um, my go-to with, uh, with narrative more often tends to be what's sometimes referred to as the spa method. You heard of this? 
is it I mean it sounds like a hot tub where you're just yeah, sit, absolutely. You're just sitting in it like yeah, soup. That's right. Uh story point application. Hmm. So in other words, you retell the story, filling in gaps and and drawing in stuff as necessary. Then you summarize the point of the story and then you apply it. Rather than trying to do, you know, verses three through seven, here's my point. Versus eight through ten, here's my point. Which hmm. either is fine. It's not like there are multiple ways to preach passages like that. So it's not like there's a one size fits all. But sometimes if it doesn't naturally fall into that sort of point one, point two, point three, I'll try to stick to the to the old spa method. But uh, I also think uh, you will uh, when you preach or teach from the Gospel of John, you're just going to have to try to understand and then succinctly summarize the relevant Old Testament background to your passage. Hmm. Um, and I think commentaries can be helpful on that for sure in terms of giving you what you need. Um, but no, no need to quote the Mishnah or anything like no, that as you're working? No, I, I would generally not recommend quoting. I saw that pop up in a commentary where it's like, actually, this this here is helped out by the Mishnah telling us this. Mm. And it's like, my goodness, I am not quoting the Mishnah. No, no, <laughs> no but you can, you know, that's something where if it's, if you feel like it's helpful for the listener to to know, you could say something like, you know, the Jew, you know, Jewish Jewish tradition records that, you know, and then summarize it up as opposed to necessarily quoting the Mishnah. But um, I still think the go to commentary is Don Carson in the Pillar series. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that has and will stand the test of time. That's now thirty years old. That's hard to believe. Hmm. Um, one other commentary that I'll recommend more as a reference commentary, so you wouldn't necessarily read through it, is the commentary by Craig Keener, hmm. um, which Keener's strength is both Jewish and Greco-Roman background. That's his sweet spot. That's so his huckleberry? That is his huckleberry for sure. Hmm. Um, so that's a good resource to – I wouldn't necessarily recommend – I think it's a two-volume commentary. So reading through the whole – section on your passage may not be time effective, but to dip into it and go, I'm curious about this. Oh, that's helpful. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. So those would be some recommended resources. And, you know, checking in on the commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament is uh, is always a good idea. Yeah. Particularly that's in a new volume now, right? They've had a – has that been redone? No. No. Okay. The dictionary of the New oh, Testament use of the old, which it. is a companion to that, just released this month. Okay. Um, yeah, that's. I don't know if you saw me. I posted something on. Yeah, social yeah. Media. You did a couple of entries for that. I did. I did the one on Galatians, Philippians, and then the Old Testament use of the Old Testament as compared to the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Hmm. So that just came out. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about that, I did a whole episode on that on my other podcast oh. with uh, my good friend Ben Glad, who's, who's one of the editors. I was about to say. He's an editor. Yes. So uh, you can check that out. That is called the Biblical Theology Briefing. So, all right, John, we should probably wrap up 
that okay. segment and move on to this day in sports history. All right, this day in sports history, November 14th. 2023. Where's the year going? It's flying by here. I mean, we're almost at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Anyway, yeah. uh, 1970, 43 members of the Marshall football team die when their chartered plane crashes in uh, Keneva, West Virginia. You're familiar with that story. Yeah, I've seen the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was who in that movie? Who was who the star? Uh all right, all right, all right. Matthew um, McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. There we go. Yeah. And uh, Matthew Fox, who was one of the lead guys in Lost. Oh, yeah, that's right. Played, that's right. Played Jack, the doctor on Lost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 1985, Brewers released 39-year-old pitcher Raleigh Fingers. Always good to get a Raleigh Fingers reference in. Yeah. I mean, he, had, he might have had the greatest mustache in uh, baseball history. Yeah. Certainly baseball history. We're... World history, I don't know. There's been some, there's been some good mustaches out there. Did you know that my father-in-law tried to replicate that? Did he really? When he was, when he was in that phase of life, yeah. In in I don't mid, know that it was in, in in homage to Raleigh fingers, but he he tried. But the, it was a style. He tried the handlebar, the you know, the curl it up on the edges. Wow. My wife will tell you that it was not a great look for him. Interesting. <laughs> uh, 1993, Don Shula becomes the coach of the most. Becomes the coach with the most wins in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that been surpassed? That's a good question. I feel like Belichick has got to be. He's right got to be, doesn't he? I don't know. He's either right there or getting or already there. Uh, Two thousand nine. Yeah. Daniel, is that a typo? Nope. Okay. <laughs> uh, Pasafume. There you go. Sets the NCAA record for most receptions in a single game. Catching twenty, sorry, went on catching twenty-five passes for Division Three Hanover College. Pesafume finished with one hundred fifty-three uh, uh, receiving and two touchdowns in the forty-two twenty-eight loss to Franklin. Okay, so at first you hear twenty-five catches and you're like, "Wow, that's amazing!" But for only a hundred and fifty-three yards, yeah, how many? So that's like six yards a catch. That's not great. No. Not great, Bob. I mean, that, that, that's that got to be swing passes. Like, I mean, like mm-hmm. 20. Bubble screens. Yeah. Yeah, got to be. Uh, 2010, here we go. Uh, <laughs> the New York Jets defeat the Browns 26 to 20 in overtime at Cleveland Brown Stadium. The Jets, who won 23-20 in overtime at Detroit's Ford Field last week, are the first team in NFL history to win road games in overtime in consecutive weeks. I believe it was tied 2020, and Mark Sanchez hit o- Santonio Holmes, uh, who took it to the house on a slant. Santonio Holmes. Remember Santonio Holmes? I will never forget Santonio Holmes. A Buckeye. Yeah, yeah. Super Bowl catch? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, he. I believe he took it as – Time might have been even expiring or we were down the last minute or two in overtime. <laughs> and it was going to end a tie. And San Antonio Holmes took it to the house. I believe that, that that's game. Uh, 2018, the New York, Mets, New York Mets pitcher Jacob deGrom wins the NL Cy Young Award. His 10 wins is the fewest ever by a Cy Young Award winner in a non-strike sortened season. Uh, MLB leading 1.7 ERA. Okay. That's wild. Yeah. 
1.7 is low. Get some offense there. Like, get him some help. Well, I, he's now had a second Tommy John surgery. Um, I think in part because he's trying to throw the ball 102 miles an hour as a starting pitcher. Yeah. So who do you like out of that list? I, I mean, there were two of them that were basically for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. We we don't have regular occasion to talk about Raleigh fingers enough. You want to go with Raleigh? Yeah, let's go with Raleigh, lest I be called a homer. Okay. We can do that. We can do that. One thing you liked. Uh, I'm going to talk family weekend. So I just came from a meet and greet with parents of current students who are on campus this weekend. So they're going to get to go to some ball games. There's a cookie call, cookie crawl across campus. So what? What pray tell is a cookie crawl? I believe each dorm has baked or developed some sort of cookie, and parents and their and their kids can go from dorm to dorm, see the dorm, get a cookie. But they are not required to actually crawl. No, 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 no. Okay. No, I think it's supposed to be the Christian college version of like a bar crawl where you go okay. from <laughs> bar to bar to bar. Um, but that's going on this weekend. We okay. have something like 500 registrants for this event. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's well attended. I saw probably 30 or 40 sets of parents this morning at the little coffee and uh, danishes that we had. So it was, it was some nice some nice folks. Okay. Some nice folks. All right. Gotcha. Uh, I am going to go with uh, something that happened last week, but I'm just going to go with it. Go with it. It's our podcast. We yep. do what we want. We're 202 episodes in, we, and, and it's our podcast. That's right. We talk about sermons that we're prepping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went to the Purdue versus Grace game, as did you. Yeah, we sat next to each other, actually. Yes, yes. By coincidence. Yeah, not, that not, was not planned. That was not planned, no. Uh, but uh, that was a lot of fun. You know, Grace being an NAIA school and being you know ranked number two in the country in the NAIA, so yeah. obviously an elite-level NAIA school, playing number three Purdue, number three in the NCAA Division One uh, end of things. Yeah, we could just leave it at number two Grace against number three Purdue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's just a great opportunity for Grace uh, to play against a top-caliber team like that. Um, and I'm sure it's an amazing experience for the players. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it was a fun crowd, you know, up in that gray section there. and It was a good time. Yeah. It's a really yeah. good time. So I, 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 uh, I had three people with me on in my car on the road trip there. So I had uh, my son Jake, mm-hmm. his girlfriend Autumn, and uh, Isaac. Oh, yeah. yeah. Isaac had better tickets. Yes. Yes, he, he got his through a slightly different source than me. Yes. And uh, that proved to be beneficial to him. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was fun to see that place rocking. It was definitely sold out. Yes. And Mackey Arena is a great place to watch a basketball game. I mean, we were, what, second row from the top, literally like as far up basically as you can. It wasn't go. too high. And still very good sight lines. You felt like you were, you know, not just so removed from the game that you weren't part of it. Yeah. Um, it's a great experience. So that was my one thing I liked. All right, John, we got to wrap this up. We both have places to go, people to see, things to do. Um, we have talked uh, a little bit of sports, not as much as usual. We have talked about the 
differences between the Gospel of John and the Synoptics. We have talked Raleigh fingers, and we have talked about the cookie crawl here at Grace. Yeah, the cookie crawl. Yeah. And we've talked about the Purdue versus Grace basketball game. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.